I've testified to this before, but in high school, I, I wasn't uh, all that uh, of a dedicated student, not a student of high school stuff. I was a student of hunting and trapping and fishing and, 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 and farming and different things. I was a student of those things, but I, I, I got through high school because I was, I think the teachers liked me. I really, and I, and I even learned that as a, in a phlebotomy world, that, that when I was a phlebotomist, if you were nice, the stick didn't hurt as much. So, you, you know, it just was, it is. The needle was just not as dull if you were nice. If you were not nice, then the, it didn't matter how good of a stick you were or, or how, how easy or hard they were, they, they always complained. And it, was, it has to do with niceness. And so I kind of learned that in high school, and, and I got through high school all right, but then, the Lord had just came upon me, and you know my testimony at 31, and, and uh, in that July of that year, he came upon me and, and saved me, redeemed me, called me his own, and at the same moment he's doing all that, he's, he's, he's planting a, a heart for ministry inside of me. It's simultaneously happening. And I know right away that I'm called to something different than what I am doing at the time. Which was, re, which was uh, uh, electrical and plumbing. And I knew that it was different at the time, and I knew that I needed something to, to be able to train for that. I needed to go somewhere. And, and there were several home study programs that I could have went in, and, and it, was, it, was, it was Cheryl who really felt that I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't focused enough at that moment to do a home study program. I need to purposely step away to go to school. So we applied to some schools, and, and I'm still waiting for information from the one school that I sent from information for. So I took that as God didn't want me to go there. It's been 25 years, 27 years. They haven't sent me the, the admission package yet, so I'm just assuming that I'm not going there. Lancaster Bible College sent me back real quickly. They, 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 I filled out all the stuff, and I sent it back to them, and they sent me back a letter you're 32 years, 31 years old now. We're, we're going to waive all your high school transcripts. They don't matter anymore. We figure you've grown up. So they took all the high school transcripts. So you don't do well in high school. It takes you another 13 years to get those expunged from your record, right? And they say, we're going to take a chance on you that you can come and be a student here. That's what their words were. But when I started into college, they only let me take 12 credits. And they'd made me take this course. It was college success. And, 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 they, and you had to go once a week for an hour a week and just learn how to really be a student and learn how to study and different things like that. So I took that course and, and I took 12 credits. And I can remember the first time that I sat in a class and it was finals week. To me, that's like I have no concept of what finals week was like until I entered finals week. And it was not, it was the, you've got a final exam coming up. And a final exam, that didn't seem too threatening to me until I sat down to my first final exam. And they were measuring, really, a final exam is this, a test, you can push the button, a test, a test given at the end of a period of coursework to determine whether the student has adequately learned the material covered in that period. That's, that's not my, that's just the dictionary 
definition of final exam. Now we can argue whether uh, testing kids or testing people in this sport fashion is good or a good way to measure. I don't know. But this is a final exam. And what they were doing over the last 15 weeks, they were laying a paper in front of you and saying, yeah, you need to answer these questions because we want to see not only how much you learn, but we want to see how well we taught you. And so I sat down for the first final exam, and I sweated myself through that final exam. And I've had final exams since then from one question, which are scary final exams. Answer this question. If you need more than the 30 pages of paper I gave you, just raise your hand and I'll give you more. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and then I've answered uh, final exams that were more like a Scantron. You know, and you know, just a, you color it in and they can run it through. It's kind of the professor's way of cheating because it's like, zip, you know, you pass or fail, right? It's just, it just, the computer calculates your grade. I can remember in Psychology 101 and I've, I've told this story before, but I can remember the psychology professor gave us a study sheet. And what she gave us was all the answers. But she did not give us the questions. So you needed to go back and find out what that was an answer for and study for that question. She was, she was a little bit, you know, she has to be, right? Because she's a psychology professor. She would admit, I'm not wound too tight in some avenues. But she gave us a hundred answers and then your study was supposed to go and find the questions that those answers were for I did not do that I just memorized the 100 answers and then I went in to take the final exam and they were in order I just wrote as fast as I could in less than 30 minutes I aced the final exam all I did is memorize the answers and when I left the door, I just kind of went like this. I, learned, I don't know if I learned anything, but it was easy to pass that final exam. One of the most rough final exams was my ordination final exam. When you went into a, a, a room and they handed you a Bible and a pencil, and the clock started at six hours, you have six hours to answer this packet of information. And I can remember sweating over that and sweating over that and looking and answering and thinking and praying. God, just reveal. You gave revelation to John. Here's that. He needs some revelation right now. I finished that final exam with just a few minutes to spare. Never left the room. Five hours, 45 minutes. It was one of the most taxing things I had ever done. I called Cheryl on the way out of the final exam, and she said, how did you do? I said, I'm stopping at Walmart getting an application on the way home. <laughs> True story, right? Final exams can be rough. Final exams, you can just kind of trick your way through it. But it's really, did you learn the information? Now, perhaps a, not a best way to see. Jesus says, that, I want to tell you about those who hear my words and put them into practice. They're like the guy who builds a house on a foundation. That when the storm comes, the foundation stands, the house stands firm, right? Don't make me sing the song. It stands firm. The final exam 
I want to give you today is not only to see if we can regurgitate information, but to see how it's impacting our lives, see what kind of mortar we put in our bricks over the last year. So here's the final exam for 2023. Here's some of the questions that I'll put, I put on this final exam. Here it is. How do you prevent spiritual erosion in your life? Just so you know, we answered that question in January of this year. And that would be one of the questions I would put on the final exam. And maybe I would say, just choose one of these and give me all the information that you have on that. And maybe I'd ask, what are the hazards of compassion? These are just message titles that we've been through this year. Well, it, maybe one would be, how do I defeat a Jebusite spirit? And maybe you remember the, 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 the titles, but I'm not asking if you, even if we can regurgitate the information. I'm asking, are we using this stuff that we can learn over these 52 times this past year to really build a house that stands firm on the foundation of Christ? Because I'll tell you what, Jesus does not have a final exam when we stand before him. He's going to say, I see what you took from me. I see what you did with it. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, can you give me the theological implications of the hypostatic union? He don't give a care about that. As a matter of fact, he's already got the answer for that. And he really doesn't expect us to have the full answer of that because I can't. I don't think anybody can get a full answer of that other than Jesus. But how are we doing how do I defeat that Jebusite spirit? The next one, I might ask these questions. Push the button. What are the truths that I need to agree with the Lord on if I'm going to walk with him? Remember, I gave out T-shirts that says, I agree, Lord. What, about, what are the true Fab Four? Remember, I had a, I had a, a, a scratch-off lottery ticket, Fab Four. And just to make sure everybody knows, a complete loser! I spent two bucks on that thing, and when I scratched it off after the service, guess what I won? Nothing. Complete loser. But the true fab four, what are the true fabulous four? What are those things when you scratch them off, they make a difference in your life? What, are the, what, are, what is the plan of trouble? What is the plan of trouble in our lives? Are we ahead of trouble so that we can say, no, I know trouble I know what you're trying to do in my life. I've got that mortar between my bricks in my, in my house here. I can recognize trouble, what you're trying to do. So let me answer a few of those questions for us, just to see how we're doing. Complete rerun from this year. There's no new information from this moment on. It's no new information. It's just throughout this year, how did we answer those questions? How did we answer those questions? Or, may, or do we really worry that our spiritual life is being eroded little by little by little until we end up somewhere and find out the whole side of our spiritual life is gone? Because it's just been whittled away and whittled away and whittled away and whittled away. And I can't stand strong because my spiritual life has been eroded. And we looked at these words, repent and forgiveness and follow and word and fellowship and hear and prayer and compassion and gospel. If I was given this final exam and you wrote those nine words down, I would give you half credit. 
Because there was a question that went with each one of those words that I want to ask myself on a regular basis. And those questions were to help me not get this erosion of my spiritual life. That I could stay strong and even grow more and more and more and more. Here's the questions. Push the button. Here's the question. Repent. Is there a change I need to make? Do we ask that daily? I'm not that. You can ask the guy in the mirror or the lady in the mirror. And I've done that over the last few months. I've said, who are you? What are we doing? And asking God, is there a change I need to make? Is, repent just means to go from here to this, right? From here to this. Just turn around. Just turn around. Do a 180. That's what repent means. I just need to stop this or start this. I'm not doing this in my life, and I want to do this in my life. I need to turn around. Now, I'm almost there. Repent means completely turn around and head the other way. And I think that's a question that I need to ask myself on a regular basis. God, am I still going the same way? I've been doing some walking and spending time with God, and God, God has taught me so much through my walks. And I'll unpack some of that more as the weeks go on in 2024. But yesterday I was walking on a path, and, and I'm really beginning to learn, God, where do you want me to go? Right, he says. He just instantly answers me. Just so you know, he doesn't always instantly, instantly answer me and other things in my life. But when I'm walking, I go out of my house. He said, go right. I said, I usually go left, but I'm going right because I heard God say, go right. I start down the road and start down the street, and, and God is saying, do this and do this, and I'm doing this. And probably the neighbors can think I'm completely drunk. Because God says, zigzag back and forth across the street. Okay, wonder if anybody's watching, and I'll zigzag back and forth across the street. But I was coming down Church Street in Roaring Spring, and there was a branch. This was yesterday. There was a branch laying in on the sidewalk. And it was an arrow pointing right down the sidewalk. The branch had fell out of the tree. And it was an arrow pointing right down the sidewalk. And I heard God say, you're going the right way. Are we asking God, am I going the right way? Can we just have an honest conversation? I know I need to get moving because the final exam is longer. And this is more of like a psychology 101 time limit than it is an ordination time limit. The Bills are vying for the playoffs, and they play at one. How about forgiveness? Where does forgiveness play out in my life? Who do I need to forgive? Do you ever ask God that? Sometimes I'm asking God, uh, what do I need forgiveness for? And God is very open to share that with me bit at a time. Because if he dumped it all onto me at one time, I couldn't handle it. But he is very gracious and very loving, and he gives me peace at a time. But did you ever ask yourself, God, or ask God, who do I need to forgive, God? And the first person that comes into your mind, yeah, yeah, no, God, that person's dead. I know, but can you just forgive them? Because what that unforgiveness is doing in your life now, it's really racking you up. I'm not asking you to go to them to ask them for forgiveness. I'm just asking you to forgive them. Will you do that? Because that unforgiveness will erode my spiritual life. We talked about that in January. How about follow? Holy Spirit, where are you leading me today? 
if, if, if during this whole journey that I've been on the last five or six months of my life, this physical ailments in my life, the spiritual attacks in my life, if I've learned nothing, I will never take another walk around Roaring Spring without asking God which way to go. And I hope that transmits right back into my life, that I'll never say, I got a plan. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, where do you want to take me today? Can, do we even dare? No, because I have my plans and my calendar is so busy and I need to get this done, I need to get this done, I need to get this done. And God says, man, it would have been good to walk with you today. But you chose not to. The other questions, you can push the button. The other questions that would go with these words are, how is my time in the Word? How is my time with the Word? And we talked about that, not just in it, but with it. Are you with the Word or are you just in the Word? Big difference. We talked about that in January. How's that going in your life? How about fellowship? Where do I fit in the church? You know, I, I had people ask me that as the pastor. Pastor, where do I fit? And I, 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 I want you to ask God that. I, I can be part of that answer as well, but I want you to ask God that as well. And here, where do, Jesus, what do I need to hear you say on this day? And the other questions would be something like this. Uh, and, and these were January questions. What do I need to talk with God about today? Did you ever ask God? God, what do I need to talk with you about today? How about compassion? How's my compassion level? And, and where do I need to share the gospel, uh, the good news about Jesus? Did you ever ask that? Did you ever ask that as you're going into Walmart? Jesus, do you want me to share the gospel in here somewhere? No, see, see, I don't know as we do that. But I think if we're continuing to ask ourselves these questions, that our spiritual life will not be eroded. Let me take the, the final exam to the end of January, and it's the hazards of compassion. And we talked about these simple things. Being compassionate is what God wants us to do, but it's going to mess with your plans. Just so we know. And we looked at, right, we looked at uh, Luke 10, 25. It's the Good Samaritan story, right? That guy was on his way somewhere, and because of his compassion, he got waylaid. See, the other two dudes, they didn't have compassion, so their plans were never messed up. So we have, there's hazards to compassion. You remember I had a picture of the four-way uh, lights, the blinkers, the four ways in your car? And it always bothered me because it's in a triangle on every car. It's like, why do you have four-way lights and put it on a triangle symbol? See, that's the kind of stuff that just gets in my craw, and I just know, why do you do that? This hazard it involves and uh, in, in involve you uh, without knowing the details. It's going to involve you without knowing the details. God, I, I, I can have compassion, but you're going to need to lay this out between now and the, the whole day. And God said, "You're just going to have to trust me. Your compassion is going to lead you into places where you don't know all the details. It's going to be dirty. It'll use up your supply. It'll cause inconvenience. It'll take more time than you may want to give. It'll cost you more than you may want to give. It's the reality." So when our lives are so busy, we have to push down compassion because compassion messes with our busy lives. And we want to be compassionate, but we want to be busy. And we want to do what we want to do. 
and we drive by people. Just this past week, there was a guy walking alongside the road. It was raining, and I, I pulled over. I said, man, do you need a ride somewhere? Yeah, eight miles out of where I was going, and eight miles back. He said, you can just let me off here. And I said, dude, I'd love to let you off here, but something, in, I didn't say this out loud, but I'm saying this in my spirit. You can just let me off here. And I'm thinking, man, I'd love to let you off here so I could get done what I want to get done today. But God says, you really? For crying out loud, you're driving in a vehicle. I'm not asking you to carry him on your back. And I said, dude, we're going to take you wherever you want to go. And I heard myself say that. I heard myself say it. God, hope it's not Tyrone. I hope it's not State College. Because compassion will mess with you. Compassion is going to cost more than we think it's going to cost. And maybe even, even more than we want to give at the time. Let me move to February of this past year. We looked at Psalm 139, and we talked about the Jebusite spirit. And Jebusite means use, pollute, and set aside. And use means to, to, uh, means to, to my end. It, we called it the paper towel effect. I just want to use up somebody just like a paper towel and just be done with them. And then I have the, the pollute or adding impurities, and I call that the dirty towel effect we did. And set aside and walk by people and get your own towel effect. And we jumped into Psalm 139, and we looked at this beautiful truth. We looked at this beautiful truth in Psalm 139. It says, and God is saying, you know what? I'm active in your life. He's active in my life. He's, he's meeting with me. He's stabilizing me. I'm, he, I'm, I'm bringing you home. I, I, I am in your darkness. I, I created you. I knitted you together. And he's saying that to me. And I think you're amazing. And I have a plan for your life. And I will give you victory over your sin. And I will continue to love you. And I will continue to work in your life. But then we flip that over and guess what? He's doing that in everybody's life. So when we begin to look at the person sitting next to you or the person at the drive-thru or the person that has waited on you at Walmart or the person that's putting new tires on your car or the person that's ahead of you in traffic, guess what God's doing? Working in their lives. And he doesn't need a Christian to screw it up. See, I want to claim that first. Oh, God, it feels so good. Drive by that guy on the street. Oh, God, you can't be working in his life. Really? And I'm active in their life. And I'm meeting with them. And I've orchestrated you to run into them. You were asking why you had a, why you had a flat tire? Because the AAA guy needed to hear about Jesus. And I knitted them together, and I'm stabilizing them, and I'm bringing them home, and I'm in their darkness, and I created them, and I knitted them together, and I need, and I think they are amazing, and I want you to think that they're amazing. And I'm giving them victory in over sin, and I can, and I'm continuing to love them, and I'm continuing to work in their lives. 
that person in the restaurant or your work in the store, the drive-through in traffic ahead of you. How are we doing on that? How are we doing on that, defeating that Jebusite spirit and think that just people are here to get the job done that I want done? How are we doing on that? Then I moved to March, the end of March, and it says, I, the simple title is, I agree, Lord. And Amos says this, do two walk together unless they have agreement to do so? You're not going to walk with God unless you agree with God. Now you can go, you can do this, right? You can, you can come back and, but we have to be in agreement with God if we're going to walk with God. And we had this whole line of scripture that we, and I was throwing t-shirts out and I see some people still wear them. I agree, Lord. What are the things I need to agree with God? And just a sample of those things that we talked about from Isaiah 55, 9. It says this, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts greater than your thoughts. You know what? If I'm going to walk with God, I said that earlier, if I'm going to walk with God, I've got to realize God has got better thinking than I do. And when I don't understand, just get a little closer to him. God, you've got to show me something. I'm going to show you something right now. My thinking is better than your thinking. End of discussion. Can you share some of that thinking with me? No. Not right now, I'm not going to. You're just going to trust that my thinking is better than your thinking. And if I'm going to walk with God, I've got to agree with God. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Just so we know, and I've, I've quoted this verse over and over and over in my life, God, you're not the one with the problem. I am. God is not a T-Rex. His arms aren't too short. Colossians, it says this, for he has rescued us, me, from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his son he loves. See, over these past few months, I've had to agree with God and have realized that I'm not a son of the darkness, even though it felt like I'm in the dark. But I'm a son of the light. And if I'm going to walk with God, I need to agree with God. Not only is his thinking better than my thinking, not only has God not had the issues, but he's, he's undone some of my issues, and he's moved me close to him so that I can walk with him. Push the button. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We need to agree with God so we can be doing the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. He's inviting you and me. And if you want to know more about that, Wednesday night group is a great place to learn more about that. Hearing God and joining him where he's working. Maybe I would take you to the Fab Four and just remind you this morning from 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 from, 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 from May of this year. Now, it is God who makes us both now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The true Fab Four is this. 
You can push the button. The true fab four is this. You are established. Do you know what established means? Started or set up long enough and long ago and sufficiently successful to suggest like the likely continuance in victory. You are established. You are commissioned. You are sealed. And you are headed toward more. That's the true Fab Four. If you're ever going to buy a stretch-off ticket again, may it be a Fab Four and may you tell the clerk, I'm just buying this, just remind me of the Fab Four that God's got for me. Do you mind if I share that with you right now? I'll take you over to June 25th. And it's going to remind you, as I remind myself, through tears on my desk this past week and past couple weeks ago, when I read through this, my message, and I realized that I had preached the message, but I hadn't added a mortar to my bricks. The trouble, the trouble will vie for my focus. Trouble needs me to focus on it rather than on God. I preach this in June. August, I wake up troubled. Trouble looks for the weak areas of my life. Trouble wants to grip me. Trouble, trouble wants to trouble me. Trouble wants to lead me into greater darkness. Trouble wants to push God out of my life. Trouble will, will mock and ridicule the truth. Trouble wants to, con to, con to, to, to convince me that nothing will remove it. Trouble wants to set in for life. Trouble wants to invite more trouble. Trouble wants to spill over onto those around you. Trouble is powerful. Trouble says, God doesn't care. Trouble, you don't get to make the calls. Because the rest of the Psalm 10 says this, God, you do see this trouble. See, if you end halfway through Psalm 10, you're going to throw in the towel. God, you do see the trouble. God, you, you break the strength of this trouble. God, you do hear. God, you do know my desire. God, you do uh, strengthen and encourage. God, you do defend. And God, you do work in the here and the now. And we finish with this statement. Trouble, you will terrify me, oppress me, and afflict me no longer. How are we doing on that? As of a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple hours ago. I'm just above a C minus. How about if we just moved to July and we talked about what, we, what God wants us to be assured of, the assurances, the pledge, the promise, the declaration that inspires or is intended to inspire confidence. What does God want you to know that builds your confidence in your relationship with him? And we, 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 we talked about things like you are justified. You are not guilty. You can push the button. You're not guilty. Therefore, you have been justified. There it is. That, yep. Next. You are justified. 
you are not guilty. You are at peace with God. God is not mad at you. And just let me, if that's new information to you this morning, just, I just want somebody in this room to know, God is not mad at you. God doesn't draw you to himself because he gives you the silent, mad treatment. God loves you. He's not mad at you at all. And you are in God's grace and in his favor. If we will be assured of this truth, we will rock this world. That's the phrase we ended with in that message. How about, how about the 17th of September when we simply started out to sing, I exalt thee. Pretty cool that we sang that again today. And really just asking ourselves, Psalm 145, 1, I will exalt you, O God, my, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Exalt means to be moved to a high place. That doesn't mean, we said these statements, that doesn't mean that we put on a fake smile and cover up our hurts and wounds and failures and aches and walk into the room with this deception. That doesn't mean that, that, that we just sing louder and so others won't hear our grief and our hurt and our pain. But what that does mean, you can push the button, what that does mean is this. It means that we will let the light shine. That means that God gets center stage in this room. And when people come in this room, they will get a presence of God experience. And they will feel the grace and the mercy and the love of God pour out them onto them. And they will feel something that they've never felt before. Not a room of people that put on masks and people that put on special clothes or people that put on something to try to cover up something, but just people that glorify God and exalt God. Final exam would be some of those things. Not just so we could regurgitate answers, but we could say, God, are these in my life? How about a new we start another 52 weeks next year. Next Sunday is week one. Week one. You get a whole new year. I made a statement January 1 last year. I'm not going around in 2023 with my hands in my pockets. And I made this whole big statement. And I'm walking down the street the other day, and I got my hands like this. And God says, man, that wasn't too true, was it? I'm walking, my hands are freezing. I mean, I'm like, I'll put my hands in my pocket. I've been tempted to put my hands in my pocket in the last four or five months. I don't know what 2024 is going to bring. But may God not find us with our hands in our pocket. May he really find us as a body of believers that are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Loving people in this world that's fairly challenging to live in. May he see us and touch us and enable us to be new life 2024. Would you stand with me today? Father, that's my heart's desire. 
that I, we, would exalt you and you would be lifted high and they would see our Father and they'd be drawn to you and we would be drawn to you deeper and deeper and deeper. Father, thank you for these moments together. Jesus, thank you for me even making this possible. Spirit, thank you for indwelling us as believers of Jesus Christ to teach us and to remind us to keep us in tune with the Father. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for 2023. Grant us success in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.